Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. When it comes to innovation, policy and regulation can either be a rocket ship or a brick wall. With the Texas legislative session in full swing, Austin Next has pulled two of our legislators away from their duties to talk Texas, innovation, and how they try to find that balance. Our guests for this episode are Representative Giovanni Capriglione from the 98th District. He was elected to the House of Representatives in 2012, and he's serving his fifth term representing all or part of Grapevine, Colleyville, Southlake, Keller, Westlake, North Fort Worth, and Hazlitt. In addition to chairing the Innovation Caucus, Capriglione currently serves on the House Committee on Pensions, Investments, and Financial Services, as well as the House Committee on Appropriations. Representative John Boosie III from District 136 was first elected in 2018. Representative Boosie represents western Williamson County, including northwest Austin, Cedar Park, Leander, and the Brushy Creek area. He's the vice chair of the Innovation Caucus and also sits in the House Committee on Elections, the Committee on Transportation, as well as the Select Committee on Constitutional Rights and Remedies. Most recently, he was named a member of the Select Committee on Healthcare Reform. Thank you so much for welcoming us in, into your offices, and we appreciate it. And welcome to the Austin Next Podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. I have to tell you, we were talking for a couple of minutes before we started, and one of the things I'm really impressed about is the part-time system of legislature here in Texas. But another thing is, I'm sitting across from a gentleman who has an R after his name and a gentleman who has a D after his name, and I can never imagine that happening in most legislatures throughout the country. So congratulations. This is amazing. Can, can either one of you tell me how the Innovation Caucus got started? So this, this caucus started in 2015, and you know a lot of members were in it and out of it. But uh, what we wanted to do, and so uh, it was in 2020 and 2021, uh, we essentially decided that it was a bigger thing. What we saw in Texas was that technology was becoming a bigger and bigger part of Texas, right? We saw a lot of folks coming from California. We saw a lot of really bright people coming to California. We saw companies moving their headquarters from California to Texas. And so we knew that this was going to be a bigger part of our legislative work as well. And so that's when it really kind of took off. What do you guys see as the mission of the caucus? You know, you mentioned in the opening about how we're Republican and Democrat. I, th- I think our mission is to learn about what's going on in Texas, to learn how we can help uh, promote a healthy environment for innovation and growth in the state, how we can do it in a bipartisan way, because that's how we're going to build more consensus. I think Texas is unique, especially the Texas House, uh, that we do a lot together. I mean, we The two of us have had many bills where we've been on the opposite side, but we've we've made it an initiative to not hold grudges, move on to the next issue, think how we can focus on, you know, serving the people of the state. And and so I think that's the goal of this caucus is to work together because we can have more buy-in when it's bipartisan. To that effect, we also made it bicameral this session to work with our senators. Um, one of our 
leaders in the caucus upgraded to the Senate or downgraded to the Senate this year. Um, <laughs> Both chambers get and, smarter. Right? And so he's he's helped us, uh, you know, bridge that gap. And so hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more. But I, I think our, our main purpose is so we can learn. I You know, other than Geo and Senator Parker, nobody understands this stuff. And, and so we this is a body where we bring in experts to educate us because we have to make the decisions and the laws. And we want to make sure we're protecting the people of this state, but not doing too much or, you know, oversight or regulation that would become no longer a hub for innovation. Let's start at kind of the, the very top level. How do you guys define innovation? Well, that's a good question. I mean, because there's innovation in a whole bunch of different sectors, right? I mean, whether it's oil and gas or whether you want to go to healthcare, there's innovation going on all the time. But I would say at the root of all of that is technology and technological advances, right? For a long time, when you look at how an economy grows, it can do it a bunch of different ways, right? One of the ways it can do is by becoming, uh, by putting more people in the workforce, right? But another way, another multiplier is to make people be able to work more efficient and more productively, right? And so what we've seen is technology at its core can, can be used and is used today in everything, right? We're having a conversation here today that maybe would only been, is only possible because of the technological advances we have. So if you look at the partners who support this caucus, uh, the types of policies and initiatives and bills that go through here, it's everything. Maybe at first glance, it doesn't look like it's technology or innovation, but at its core, we want to make sure that this advances science, technology, engineering, manufacturing, um, math, science, everywhere from education all the way to how it affects people at the hospital and so on. You know, we're looking for what's new and what's next and how do we, you know, help support it. I think uh, one of the cool things about this caucus is we spent a lot of the interim, we traveled all over the state. So from, uh, you know, Houston, here in Austin, San Antonio, all over North Texas, seeing what is happening right now and also learning from experts in the field about where they're going to go over the next 10, 20 years. But I think, you know, whether that's, you mentioned medicine, we saw just amazing how tech is being used in medicine, whether it's fighting cancer or just other treatments to be so much more effective and give people, you know, more life to continue to, to thrive. We've seen it in virtual reality. Yesterday in the building, we had, you know, our partnerships with our amazing universities. We had students, high school students here uh, that are coding and just doing uh, innovative tech uh, in partnership with University of Texas and Texas A&M. Um, and, and so we, you know, traveled the state to find what's new and what's next. I think that's what it is. I mean, this state is, is always taken risks and been at the forefront, whether it was in our rural days. Uh, some of us still have some rural areas uh, that we fight for across the state. But, you know, a lot of us are these big tech hubs now. And and so just being at the forefront in a state that uh, just has that right balance of regulation where it's not overregulated so we can we can push that new thing forward. It's a little bit on that. So we did have we uh, IT caucus helped and we had other sponsors who did this thing called coding at the Capitol, right, where we had all I'll say kids, I'll say kids for anybody under 40 at this point. But, you know, kids in high school were showing us kind of their projects. So the first one that I saw, he was using a programming language called Scratch, which is more of a GUI type programming language. And he had developed this uh, simple uh, trivia game where you could go and ask questions. It would show you a flag or a country and you have to try and do it. So it was an educational program. That was pretty cool. Second kid. Using JavaScript, had developed a program that there's an app called 2048. It's a game where you go and flip 
flip around and you try and get to 2048 and he had developed some AI model uh, that it was able to optimize uh, that game. So I'm like, oh, that's really cool as ninth grader. And then you go to the next kid and he developed his own cryptocurrency and he was mining for it on the side. So innovation happens everywhere. And part of our goal is to, is to help our constituents first and foremost by educating them about technology. It's not just your cell phone. It's not social media, but also our fellow members in the legislature. There was a 10th grader there yesterday with her own patent and she was handing out resumes to all the state reps <laughs> that came through. So Good. Yeah. My, my chief of staff said, what's this resume? I said, you may want to call her. Absolutely. <laughs> How do you see the narrative of innovation in Texas changing? Because I think if you had asked, I mean, it was funny, we, we had on for the Austin Chamber recently and how certain events make that change, right? If you talk to us, I'm assuming, what, three years ago, EVs would not have been on the radar, right? And then that singular event of Tesla coming in obviously just changed the entire narrative. So over the last, I mean, you said that you know, 2015 was when the caucus came together, even in just that short period of time, how are you seeing the change in what the narrative is? I mean, you mentioned, you know, crypto and blockchain. If you'd asked that two years ago, like, yeah, this is amazing. Now we're all post FTX. And it was right. like, crypt, crypt what? I don't know what you're talking about, you know? We have a bill on that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's certain events that go in and put technology back in people's forefront, right? So if you, if you want Chat to talk GPT about- maybe? You know. Well, we have an AI bill, right? So people are talking about, because it, when it finally gets to where a person is using it and, under, and kind of understanding where that is. So maybe before that was cell phones and then it was social media, to your point, uh, Bitcoin and blockchain. But let's just take a recent event like this balloon, right? That's floating over the United States. And- and it's like, oh, wait, there's ways to surveil, you know, provide surveillance. Um, so I think that goes into people's minds. They're like, okay, how, how, is, how is that affecting me right now? Like, what other ways are, is there surveillance? What about data? What do you mean they're capturing data? What does that even mean? So all the time, but I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but what do you think, John? I mean, do you think the political discord in D.C. has brought a, 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 some spotlight on technology? It has. Um, I think that's that's why we're doing so important. I, you know, you hear all the time the narrative around D.C. is broken. I'm not sure I was on that narrative until I saw this, them electing a new speaker and, and a, a week of the same thing over and over and over. It was very disheartening and, and Texas doing it differently. I I liked uh, Chairman Capriglione's tweet the other day around the balloons. What did you say? Like, if you're worried about this balloon, then turn off your Amazon products right. or something like that. Right. It's like we're worried about this balloon over there, but every day you're being recorded, you're being, your data is right. being captured. We were on a forum days after the FTX issue together, Bitcoin, blockchain, I, you know, and I think one thing, when you're going to be a state that's at the forefront of innovation, there's going to be hiccups along the way. And so you're going to figure out how do you bounce from that. And I, I think one of the things we we have to regulate, but one of the pieces of advice was if you self-regulate first and do it quick and you learn from your mistakes, then it doesn't put as much burden on us because we want to be an innovation hub. So I think you know that's where you're going to see a difference, I think, from Congress and Texas is – we're going to do what we have to do, but we're going to also work with these individuals so they can, this state can stay the forefront. I want to drill down, if I can, on that self-regulatory aspect because I used to work for a company that was in the data gathering business, and we had a self-regulatory kind of framework, and now I'm on the board of a company in the environmental space that has a self-regulatory framework as well. And that provides a great middle ground for how much regulation and how much legislation is needed 
if everybody participates. So when, when you guys are talking about safe self-regulatory kind of, of oversight, how do you put those, those safeguards in? Well, if we, we can talk, um, you mentioned FTX, for instance. Um, I think for a long time, and, and actually when we were going to go talk at this uh, blockchain conference here in Austin, um, we had talked the year before, right? And uh, Senator Cruz had been there and Senator Cornyn had been there and other members. And at that time, it was like, hey, we don't need any regulation at all. We got this. We can figure this out on our own. We have all of this technology that keeps track of one another. And then kind of the FTX thing hit maybe a week or two before we were there. And all of a sudden, what they realized and what people do realize is, well, that didn't work. Okay. Uh, there was fraud. Uh, no one was able to catch it until it was significantly too late. And those are the situation where we're like, okay, we're, we're this for the good of that market, for the good of innovation and technology, and we, the government are going to go and put in a light touch, but still there has to be guardrails. If, if this self-regulation, it continues to work in a lot of industries, if it still works, it's fine. But the first time someone steals $32 billion to go by, <laughs> yeah, we got to fix it. And, and they're bringing their own ideas and we're meeting with them and having those relationships with Texas Blockchain Council. Is we've, helping. Group, they don't, yeah. we've had Lee on the, on the podcast They don't want to be caught up in, you know, they don't want one bad apple to spoil them. So they're, they're helping us and, and we're, we're pushing back on them to make sure the regulation's fair. I mean, they've, they've suggested ideas around cross-investment and cross-board and, and making sure these things don't happen. And so we have to be careful um, – that you don't have these fake inflations of money and, and theft that happen. And so we got to do our part, but, but I think it's, you're right. A light touch is, is how you also stay the innovation hub. And it helps to put the bad actors away for a hundred plus years and, yeah. Yeah. you know, for the frauds that they did. So when thinking about the policy, where do you see the leverage points, right? We talked obviously in the FTS case, the fraud, but when crafting policy around innovation, we talk a lot about like regulation and that's obviously a lot more of like, don't do this, but mm -hmm. there are obviously different points. I can think of CPRED and that. Where do you see the points of leverage that policy can work? Um, so let's, let's go to one of the other things, which is chat GPT, right? Yeah. So everyone's talking about now all of a sudden, even though it's been around for decades, people are talking about AI, right? But so the points of leverage are on educating people on its use cases you know, where can it, because people are creative, right? So if you just explain what it is and what it isn't, it isn't just something you go online and you can, you know, have it write your essay for you if you're in college, right? I mean, there's a lot of positive things about what it can do. And so some of what we are do uh, in the caucus is, okay, look at procurement opportunities, right? Go in, we call them studies, but maybe just having committees or having the public come and testify or choosing certain stakeholders to get together, that innovation happens almost sometimes in that room. And then other people watch it and they say, okay, I got an idea where this could be used in health and human services or where this might be able to be used to get, um, you know, like when, when COVID first came out, up until that time, up until that March, whatever day it was when everything went south, we were paying like $20 million every six months in, in uh, unemployment insurance here in Texas, right? It wasn't a big deal. Well, it jumped to like $6 billion by the end of the year, right? So many people were, were calling and trying to get that check because they were worried that they didn't have a job anymore or whatever. So we ended up going to virtual assistants. We ended up using cloud services. We ended up using AI bots to be able to go and help that. So sometimes by continuing that conversation and bringing other partners go, people saying, well, you know where else we could use this? 
this would be a good future for the state. And to piggyback on that, we've got a two-on-one system that's used for a lot of state benefits and resources that has not modernized, even though we just did it, you know, in one section in need. And so that's one thing we're we're working on as a caucus. And how do we, mod- you know, tell people about two-on-one? I think. Well, well, it's like if you if you need to get benefits, uh, kids get health insurance, SNAP benefits. You go through this this number. You call two-on-one. You go through this resource. It's an archaic system that we could be using modern tech. We are a tech hub of all the major tech companies, but a lot of tech is government. It's not. And so how are we going to utilize the technology that we have available to us to better serve the constituents of Texas? And, and so one thing we're going to do this time is get support behind 211. So it's got, I mean, specifically, we're looking at what you just said, two-way texting feature, uh, AI bots that you can interact. So it doesn't have to just be human power to get it done, uh, which we're all struggling to find enough of that. It's, it's where we can utilize technology to better serve. I think we heard in testimony you know, the average wait time could have been 45, 55 minutes. And you're talking about people that are calling for SNAP benefits. They're already working multiple jobs. They don't have a flexible, you know, career where they can take off whenever they need to. The hours are limited. Um, so there's no time after work to call. So what we can do as a caucus by modernizing these services for the people of Texas, we're going to better serve the people of Texas, some of the most needy Texans um, through innovation and technology. How do you deal with, so there, on one hand, there's the the services and solutions themselves that you want to modernize, as you said, like the two one one. On the other hand, generally, government has you know not been that fast moving in terms of just say. I mean, I'll use the, the military as the example, and we had on like the uh, uh, Army Applications Lab, the procurement process itself, and being able to bring in like if you want to modernize two one one, and I can speak from a not experience, but in terms of like, I would assume that Texas looks a little bit like this where, okay, how you get in to modernize, to actually get the services to modernize 211 is not exactly the easiest process. So how are we looking at doing modernizing the process to modernize, if that makes sense? All right. So, and I, just to dig in, like a, a, a not 100% real, but pretty close to real life example of how long it takes to procure something in Texas. We only meet every two years. Okay. And so that means the budget is only done every two years and it's two years forward. So, but an agency has to start getting things ready before we meet. So an agency might, let's say they need to modernize a system. They're going to go before October of last year, they already have to get quotes on the systems that they want. So now they're getting a quote on technology October three months ago. We're going to approve, if, if it's a good project, we'll approve that budget in May, okay, so that they can start getting the money by September. Then they go out and do their RFPs or whatever, but let's just say it's a three-month thing or whatever. So that project is probably going to be let out in the January of the year after that. This is on a technology quote, maybe 18 to 24 months earlier. So some of the things that we've done through this caucus that we supported is um, is having now effectively a standing committee that goes and looks at technology projects that are in the mix, that people are talking about it. So we can start sorting through them, start having those conversations more directly, uh, more real time, if you will. It's not like day to day and that sort of stuff. So that that's one of the items for sure. And we do have to speed up our procurement process, right? Especially when it comes to to some of these projects. That being said, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of requirements, right? We don't want people giving these contracts to their friends, right? So we have a lot of accountability as well. How do you deal from a legislative perspective? So let, kind of same question, but 
on a higher level, which is, okay, you're making laws or regulations. We see, and this is, we see how fast innovation moves. So, and I think this is, this, I don't think this is a problem of part-time. I think this is just legislature in general, right? I make a law and we see the fact that like, okay, chat GPT came out in November and you're right in the fact that AI has been around for a while, even GPT-3 had been around for two years. It really was a UX innovation that then caused all sorts of amazing innovations. I always make that like, I use it, my wife use it, my seven-year-old daughter uses it, my son uses it. Like it's, that was the, the, the breakthrough of it. And so how do you are able to think about any sort of legal frameworks, whether you're trying to pull things back or, or make things go faster when you're like, who knows what's happening in six months, right? And, and from a, purely from an innovation technology perspective. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. I think it is one of our challenges that we made over two years. I mean, I think sometimes we're behind. I'm in the minority party. I'm happy when we're not in, in session most of the time. But but uh, in general, I do think it does make us slower to respond or it puts more onus on the governor to respond a lot of times. And that gets to a whole other challenge we have between who, you know, who should be making these decisions. Uh, I, I mean, to the specific, that's dealing with a you know challenge that comes along. I, I I think the counter to that question is you know you want Texas to be innovative. I think a lot about before I got here, and I'm sure you helped on this bill. They they passed I want to say in 2017 legislation around making it a very friendly state for autonomous vehicles to come. I wasn't in the legislature yet. I wish I had been able to vote on that bill. But it, it basically put the onus on the company. They have full liability, but they also have basically free reign to to start working here and get here. And that's what's led all these companies in. Um, so, I mean, I think part of it is we create an environment uh, that allows that innovation. But how we respond quickly, I think, is a challenge sometimes meeting every two years. It is a challenge, um, of course, right, uh, knowing what the next big thing is. But I think that's where the IT caucus has really been helpful. I mean, if you just think about we have 100 partners, right? But they're doing this stuff, right? These are the people that are developing ChatGPT. While it may not be in, uh, you know, on uh, the latest and greatest thing that people know about, a lot of the people, like we went on this tour, right? So we've been touring all this tour. We went to Houston, San Antonio, whatever. And there was this one company in Houston. It's a big company. I won't say which one, but it's a massive <laughs> company. And so they're showing us around and, and there they have a server rack. Well, what's, what's this was on our caucus trips. Well, what is that? rack do oh this is where we do our ai oh go on right and so we go and we start listening and i don't know when that was maybe august or september or whenever it was and they have their massive gpu and their like a box maybe a foot by foot by foot a foot that held one petabyte of data right so our our caucus um goes there starts talking to them so i i feel like we get a heads up a little bit by going and meeting the people that are writing that stuff. And and that's why, like in, in our case, I'm like, all right, we're going to do a bill on this. And so we were able to get the bill uh, drafted and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, if I knew what the next big, big thing was, I, I'd invest in it like Congress does. <laughs> <laughs> I will say to, to counter, I'm not saying necessarily, and I've actually think it's interesting, the us coming from California. I don't necessarily see them being more responsive. I just see the bills piling up and adding more. I and think, there's listen, a, I'm not going to pick California too much, but they're terrible. Okay. Because listen, they have every opportunity, okay, to go and do it. But they, I'm just like, I've met some of these legislators, right? And they're like, oh, there's a technology. How do we stop it? Right. Or how do we tax it? Or how do we go and stifle it a little bit? And I think that's where our perspective is different is when we're confronted with this. Like, imagine if we had, 
all of those tech companies in ours, we would be going to see them and they, we would be having those conversations. They'd be, feel comfortable because they wouldn't think we'd try and shut them down, right? And here's the funny thing. They've all figured that out too, which is why HP, which started in a garage, okay, in Silicon Valley, is now headquartered here in Texas, okay? Oracle used to be out on the bay, okay? Guess where they are now? They're right here in Austin. Facebook, Google, they could go anywhere they want. Tesla. Apple. You know what they've decided? They're like, okay, our legislators aren't necessarily helping us out here because they should. They should. Instead, they can come here and they're like, yeah, come in. You're to- give well, us a talk. I think to that point, and it's not someone that migrated, it's homegrown, but I, I represent the city of Round Rock and it is built off of Dell. Round right. Rock wouldn't be hardly anything that it is without Dell computers and, and how having a great governmental partnership with them, with the city, with the state, We've had not just the city of Round Rock thrive, Williamson County thrive, Central Texas thrive, really become a tech foundation. I mean, that entire city and our industry and not just them, but now Apple, my district goes from Apple headquarters to Dell headquarters and all the different companies that have come up and and the way it's impacted Williamson County and Central Texas being one of the fastest growing areas in the state. It's because these tech companies have come here and they've built a community around them. So... When we're looking ahead now, kind of getting, I think, into now, right, in this legislative session, what are the key goals for the Innovation Caucus, you know, today? So we we are we are forming a policy committee, all right? So what we want to be able to do is as bills get heard. So we just set up committees, just to give you and your listeners kind of a, where we are in the legislative session. We just got committees set up, or at least announced. But um, there's, we're still working on organizational meetings and that kind of stuff. So bills haven't yet been referred. I haven't heard. We haven't started in the House. The Senate right. started referring today, but the House they did. is not. Okay. So, but, so what we're going to do in our caucus, like we did last session, is we're going to create a policy committee that's made up of members of the IT caucus. And as those bills that are technology-focused, we're going to go and basically say which ones we are supporting, right? Which ones are great. So like last session, uh, one of the ones we really supported was the broadband initiative, right? How to go and uh, deploy money so that we could provide internet access to people, regardless of whether they were in the rural areas like they have in Round Rock or if they were the uh, maybe lower income areas where they just can't afford some of that stuff. And so we're looking forward, I think, to, to going and being supportive of technology bills that don't go overboard. I think... I think to that point, um, you know, being bipartisan is where this is very helpful because people don't understand this issue in our body. I mean, the the 150 members of the House and the 31 senators, I mean, technology is happening too fast for us. And and so us trying to go meet one-on-one and and using our staff to, to learn as much as we can, then by working together as a Republican and Democrat, it's able for us to take what we learn out on our tours and build trust with our colleagues because they don't see it as, oh, this is just the Republicans pushing it down or there's a liberal agenda, right? It's we're working together and that's vital because we're trusting, you know, our tour visits and our, our one-on-one briefings. And then we're, we're asking our colleagues to trust us too. And so that's why the bipartisan nature is important. I think you're right. We haven't, we haven't set our agenda yet. And so we'll see, but I mean, the things we've talked about, we've already hit on some, but it's how do we modernize you know, state agencies to better serve Texans, but also how do we stay, you know, an innovative hub where there's just the right balance of regulation. So people, uh, you know, our constituents, the people of Texas, you know, don't get taken advantage, but we we make industry thrive here. And, and on that, can I just, uh, so on a super high level, the things that we're working on is 
workforce development, right? Because you can't have innovation without smart people, right? So how are we going to upskill, reskill our, our constituents so that they're tech focused? So we all have bills that go and maybe work with community colleges or with CTEs in high school and stuff to so be able to go and one, generate that interest amongst individuals, but two, to be able to, do, to, to go and get them the skills that they need, right? So workforce. That also means we need top universities here, right? So that's, um, you know, our public university system in here, making sure that they have the right funding and it's affordable and accessible to, to everyone. And maybe a little bit of nudge of saying, hey, you know, we, we need more engineers. We need more uh, software programmers. And so I think the caucus absolutely supports that. How to provide um, research coming here to the state. I mean, if you go and you look back to the balloon, I think that uh, made people realize, especially during COVID, we don't manufacture anything here as much as we used to, right? Like when when this COVID happened, uh, we bought most of our masks from China, right? I mean, and now you're looking at if things change in the world, we, we need to build our semiconductors here, right? We need to do more of our manufacturing here. So we're working with our partners to go and, and try and see what we have to do in this state so that we can build more of our, our stuff here. So it's, it's, it's all of the above, but I would say workforce development, education, are still the, the way we do it. Today's community college day in the building, and they've been going around and they're working on a bill. And what we're trying to do is utilize our community colleges to better serve those workforce needs. And a lot of it is in the tech space. And it's also specific to the their part of the state, but also the state as a whole. And some of that's going to be tech jobs and some of that's going to be nursing and other needs. But, but that's exactly right. How can we, as a caucus, get behind making sure that, that these tech companies are hiring from Texans here locally as well, because it's a global competition for those jobs. I want to kind of connect the dots on a couple of those things. We talked with the folks at Texas 2036 a couple of weeks ago, and their focus was education and specifically the bill for the community college districts. How's that looking? Is that moving forward? Is that going to happen? I think it's probably too early to definitively say, but I've had like six or seven community college groups come to my office. I just got put on higher ed, so maybe that's why. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I asked one today, I said, is anyone in opposition yet? Because they're coming so much, you would think they're worried. And I, I think they're just being diligent. I haven't heard much opposition. It's going to change a little bit of the structure um, with how the funding works. And I, I, The bill hadn't been filed yet, so I, I don't know all the details because it hadn't been filed. But it's the idea is that it's going to really get behind – serving the workforce needs in, in the state of Texas through the community colleges. And I, all 50 community college districts have signed on to it, um, and I haven't heard any opposition. So I, my guess is it'll go through. It's interesting because obviously great research universities are critical to Texas, and we have some really amazing ones here. But we've talked about the community college real quick. One of the issues is manufacturing. Because although we aren't manufacturing as much as we may have been in the past, we're looking at some really interesting kind of manufacturing industries. Obviously, the EV industry, and I think it's in your district, is uh, Firefly. Yes. A rocket ship yeah, company yeah. here that builds cool, actual right? vehicles. Yeah. You know, and yeah, the first one was, eh, the next one was <laughs> they, much better. They got it and I'm the sure the third one will be even better. But this is not the PhD kind of workforce assembling these things. These are people with good skills that don't need that kind of degree type of thing. And um, how do you how do you kind of see that building here, not only in Austin, but obviously in the DFW area and, and the rest of the state? The, the great part about, well, one of the great parts of Texas uh, is we're built for manufacturing. Okay, we have uh, a lot of 
area, obviously, yeah, right? Space, so we have yeah. a lot of space to be able to go and build these mini plants. We're a common sense regulatory environment. We have a, a, a decent tax structure. Um, and so for me, those jobs, the reason why those jobs are critical, not just because they're here and not there, but also because they're accessible, right? You don't necessarily need a PhD, like you said, to go and build a rocket. You do need it to design it and probably to push the button, but we can make those jobs accessible, lots of benefit that provide wages that are livable wages for people to be able to have. And there are a lot of benefits to to Texas having all of this room and space. If you want to go in a rural area, want to build a manufacturing plant, that's great. Um, where our challenges are, some of the things we talked about, we want to make sure they have broadband access and we, that they have healthcare and that there's roads to be able to go there. And those are some of the auxiliary um, uh, policies that we're all talking about right now because um, I, I mean, all of this is lending itself for, for Texas to be the new manufacturing hub from basic stuff all the way to the most advanced stuff. How, and this is the hard question in terms of policy. Yeah, he's got this one. No. Okay. <laughs> How do you ignite the kind of innovation that we are seeing and that we need to continue to see without picking winners and losers? I thought those were chairman questions. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we, I mean, we, we, you just, you can't write policies tailored to specific business, but, but around, industry being open, you have the best schools and, and you want to have the best pathways. So you have the, the local kids growing up to be the local leaders. Um, I, I think we have to be, I don't know if I have a great answer, except like back to the, a, you know, bringing in autonomous vehicles, you created a platform, uh, a state where all these companies, we have a ton of companies, everyone talks about Tesla, there's a ton of companies here, we've toured them, some are you know, cars, but some are big truck companies that are going out there every day. Maybe people don't know they're on our roads without drivers right now. Um, there's, I still think most of them have a safety person in the car, but we've got trucks going from Fort Worth to where are we going Midland or El Paso every day and, and, and Dallas and Houston, this is happening. Um, and we created a platform. So all these companies have come here because most States just don't allow them to come innovate the way that Texas has. So they, they came here. We didn't pick a winner or a loser. All the companies flocked to us because of that. It is in those most, the, the freest, okay, least government intrusive, most competitive environments that innovation happens, right? So if you think about when you were a kid, the sandbox, right? You have the sandbox, and even though you just had a bucket and a shovel, you were somehow able to build this Lord of the Rings-type castle and whole entire thing, right? We create sandboxes. It's in your mind. Yeah, it is all in my mind. Mine was pretty pathetic, uh, but it's it's in sandboxes. Where what you say is okay. Here's here are the corners. Okay, here are the corners on what you can do. Obviously, this is illegal. This is illegal. This is where liability. This, way. but you make those corners really far away from one another, and then you let people play, and then you can play, and then and then the market sorts itself out. I think, and uh, and and so I think that's the best way. And what Texas does do that provides that. that Look at the scooter companies that came to town. Oh, yeah. Like eight of them came. They were all losing, and they were hoping that they'd be the one or two that that survived the longest. And then they they figured there's a profit model. I think. You do you know, use the scooter? Um, I don't want to be photographed on the scooters, but <laughs> right. I see some of our colleagues at night on the scooters downtown. So. At night, I'm driving and coming back. That's from better than dinner. driving, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I'm not sure what I want to do with that one or how I, <laughs> how I follow that up. But, I mean, obviously, we were talking before about the influx of industries, the influx of companies here. When you build the sandbox, 
how do you build it, I guess, with the gate to keep the metaphor going in the sandbox, with the gate so others can come in more easily? Well, I, can I go to the EV example? So what we did for, for EVs is we said, listen, there is going to be liability, and it's for the person who turns it on, okay? But that's it. Now, if you go in and you're going to say, it's the same thing as if you were driving, right? So if you're going to hit that button while you're drunk, we're going to go and we're going to blame you. If you're going to be irresponsible, there's still going to be, just like there is in other things, you're going to be responsible if someone gets hurt or whatever. But people know that going in. What they didn't want was, okay, you can only do this from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., right? You can only do this on this road. You can only do this if there's three drivers inside of the car, right? Let, let the tech companies figure it out because they were already – they. An accident for those EVs would, you know, could be and would be, especially if it was completely, would be the death of that industry, right? So they don't want that to happen either. But we still said someone could get in trouble at the end of this. But to really go and do that technology, let them figure out uh, how far it's needed. And then once it's a normal business, a nation business, and then we can start talking about other things that we have to do to to, to tighten that those rules. They're here. The the chairman's right. They have full liability. Um, and we ask all the time. I'm, I was also last session served on transportation, so there was overlap with this this industry. And we would ask, my favorite question is, when are the drivers gone? Because they're not driving right now. They're, these cars are going around the Capitol every day. We see them out there mapping. Um, so if your listeners don't understand, I mean, they are out there. Autonomous vehicles are on our roads. They're out there. But there's a safety driver sitting there, not driving, but sitting there. Um, when is that safety driver getting pulled out forever? They said, we don't know yet because they have full liability with how the law was written. So they don't know yet. I got my first answer over the interim where one said within three years, we're going to have them out of our trucks. I mean, they're going to make that decision based on their own data of when it's, you know, when they've reached that level of safety, that's well beyond a human driver. But I think we're getting really close and it's because we gave them the right playground to do it. So. You just said that we see that the autonomous vehicles are kind of driving around the Capitol a bunch, right? And it was funny. I was down uh, down Congress sitting at uh, Cava out the window, and literally it was like, you know, driverless car, delivery robot. It's been like 10 minutes. It was really <laughs> yeah. funny in this kind of moment. Sci-fi. Um, and as we've said, like, we're, we're living, you know, one of the superpowers of Austin is we're living in the future. And the question that I have, this is, this is more as representative kind of in the, of the Austin Metro in this, because I've, I've gotten pushback on this question before. Was the answer, they said is, is, there is none. So I'm curious from, from your perspective, is there? Is the fact that the capital is here in Austin, has that played any role in our growth as an innovation hub? Or is it really two separate worlds that's occurring? Ooh, I, it's a, it's an interesting question because so often I feel like as an Austin rep, we're defending this city from the state. Um, you know, we, we have some – so and far, and so good. Here, yeah. I've seen that tension, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I think there is – there's a partnership that doesn't get admitted to enough. I mean, there it's not – you know, it's, it's good state policies, but it's also, you know, I think our state policies of that, that open playground that we've talked about so – you know, very limited regulation, but also I think thriving, you know, university that's here has led to, you know, an education hub that was able to build uh, build up. I think progressive policies uh, appeal to a lot of these tech companies when you think about 
Uh, I'm looking at a, a friend who rides his bike everywhere, and this is a city that's catered to outdoors and 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 some of these more you know in California. What you would have thought of as some of these California benefits when you utilize your community. That's been, I think, a progressive city council mixed with, you know, a, a state government that's been very open to business. And I think we uh, have our hiccups between those two clashing values sometimes, but it's also led to, I think, I was born here, raised here, and have lived in Austin. It's an amazing place to be. And, and a lot of my colleagues, they don't want to admit it, but they love being here too when they get to visit. Well, I won't admit it, but uh, I, I, think, I think the university does play a big big role in that, um, for sure. I mean, it does a lot of research. There's a lot of young students, a lot of programming. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I would, I'm not 100% sure that everyone in this building is as pro-tech enough for that to be the attraction. I don't think anyone's coming here because of the capital, necessarily. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, it's the university, but I, but I think, you know, compared to California, right, it was affordability. It was a, a more open market. Um, but I think also those companies, you know, are coming from a place and they, they've got to have a workforce that's used to having a very much a outdoor lifestyle. Austin was able to meet a lot of that. I think there's a lot of similarity um, when it comes to just utilizing our parks and our water and our, our bike lanes and, and our, our types of food and our, our restaurants and diversity. I think, I think it was a better match than maybe some other places. It, it's just a question that I've had. And I've had this conversation both on the air and off because you have – you have capitals like Albany and Sacramento, which nothing, are nothing. Not the hubs. Right. Then you have Austin and Atlanta, which are both thriving in, in, as innovation. And so it's just trying to wrap my head around the parallels and kind of those and why are these kind of those capitals and is there some interplay or is it really just there just happens to be separate worlds and it's – Austin, Atlanta, you said it's universities and other things that they have going for them that happen at the Capitol and Albany and not anything it's Albany or Sacramento, but the Capitol is all that they have and that's the thing. Well, right? and to, to risk getting in trouble with my own city, I mean, the IT caucus has shown me though, it's not just here. We think of it a lot here, but there's amazing things happening in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and, and, and other parts of the state too. And so I think, you know, a lot of that is Texas, but I do think it has convened here because people like you know, kind of the local life that comes with it, but they're the business, you know, the workers like the local life and the business needs the state life. And it's been a great melting pot of that. That is actually something I think that is, that we've talked a bit about, and I've actually kind of pounded the table is the, and I, I want to say this without, there's a lot more to Texas than what I'm about to say. But when I think about the Texas triangle with, with you know, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, all within a single state, and really, California is the only other state that has the opportunity of huge other ecosystems. I think Florida, I think, has the opportunity in a number of years to grow into that as well, right? Um, but under a single kind of regulatory environment, it is a really unique opportunity, right, to have those major ecosystems that actually do connect. I mean, I've said many times, like, you know, when, when I came here and raised my hand and said, I'm in Austin, I met people in Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio without trying, right? And there also was... Um, there's a there's a there's a strong cooperation that happens, but there's also a um, 
there's a, a healthy competition. You know, nobody in Houston has ever said, well, if only I was just like somebody in Dallas. I'm sure right. that has never been said <laughs> never. in history, right? Never. And that's good, right? Like there's the, the, it's the, we want to be, I think one of the things that I've seen in other places is that it's the, you know, especially in, in certain places in California, it's like, well, we, we're going to be just like Silicon Valley one day, right? Versus saying, no, no, we're the, you know, we, we say this on the, you know, it used to be the intro of our podcast was like, we're not the next Silicon Valley. We're the first Austin, right? Yeah. And so having those distinct things. And so as we think about, you know, all of these other growing ecosystems and the connectivity that we can actually have makes this mega region something really unique in not only, you know, not in just Texas, but the country, but the world. I don't know any other region that has this possibility in front of it. Oh, you're right. I mean, and, and we discovered that, like you said, during our tour. I mean, San Antonio, it's got a lot of great things, but when it comes to cybersecurity, UTSA and that surrounding area with the number one. Okay. You go down here, obviously in Austin, there's a lot of people who are into the programming, the social media, the databases, all that kind of stuff. You go down to Houston, it's different types of technology. Okay. It's maybe more healthcare. Maybe it's more um, oil and gas and energy related. Go to DFW, finance. I mean, some of the, the biggest Fortune 100 companies are in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, I, and so... At first, I thought of it as a triangle, and now then I was at a square, but pretty soon, maybe it's an octagon here in Texas where there is a lot of interplay and interconnection. And maybe that's also another reason why the capital has in Austin has become that spoke, because that is the one area in the center where people can go and have that. It's unique. We're beginning to see Texas companies dividing their offices yeah. based on, <laughs> oh, I need this, it's in Dallas. I need this, it's in Austin. I need yep. this, it's in Houston. And they're not even thinking about it. They're just doing it. Right. So we'd like to wrap up our show with the same question every time. Uh -oh. I'll expand it a little bit. So what's next for Texas and what's next for Austin? Um, okay. What's next for Texas? Hopefully, uh, what is it? Like just a few more months, we'll have passed all of our bills. We're... Um, we're all excited to see what makes it and what doesn't make it. But I mean, for me, the Texas is going to come out of this session with a better workforce, more plans on how to uh, improve our research, how to help and improve our companies and technologies, and also with lower property taxes. So that's what we're shooting for. And, and more investment in our schools, I think. And so that's going to be good. I, I think it's going to be a higher education session. Um around workforce and and so we, we're talking about the community colleges but we're also looking at you know you talk we've talked a lot about california so we've got ut we have texas a&m we need more schools than than i mean we have a lot of great public schools how do we help the rest of our public schools rise up in research and, and innovation and development and i think there's going to be a lot of talk around that uh and rewarding that research level at the rest of our public uh, universities across the state. And I think for Austin, it's going to be uh, hardening our electric system, um, letting it be an Austin touch. Where do they have a problem? Well, a lot of places have a problem, and, and I think Austin Energy, we're going we're gonna to have their back, and, and we're going to do it in a way that's also making sure they've got the people's back, and so they, they've got work to do. They have a new city manager coming up. Yeah, that's what I hear. So. Gentlemen, thank you so very, very much for being on the Austin Next thank podcast. You. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.